0: Welcome back to the Haven Audio Podcast. This is Chad Wallenberg, and I'm back with Corey Kirkland, and this week with special guest Andrew Scott. How you doing, Andrew?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: That's good. That's good. What about you, Corey?
1: I'm doing great. That's Sitting good. here in this this special like tent fort that you have made in the yeah. back of the Haven. It's pretty sweet. It's bringing back memories of my childhood. Yeah, it's like a blanket Going, fort. We would go to Mama Kay's house, my babysitter, and we would all make blanket forts yeah. in the living room. <laughs> And she would bring us frozen banana peanut butter popsicles in the blanket fort. So I'm really hoping that you made those.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get that memo. I'm really sorry, Corey. I apologize. I know. Mama I Kay's know. cooler. <laughs> uh, you know what? She sounds like it. She sounds like it. Uh, yeah. Um, we uh, I made this kind of sound booth, uh, hope, hoping that it'd make editing a little bit easier and stuff. And, um I've got Harbor Freight moving blankets hanging everywhere with Harbor Freight clamps. I thought you might like that with not your a sponsor. Not I a sponsor. I do <laughs> like that. Yeah. Maybe there will be now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <We'll> take. <it. laughs> yeah, but if spo- um, Harbor Freight was going to sponsor someone's life, it would be mine. Yeah, that's really true <laughs> the actually. Chainsaw.
0: The chainsaw. <laughs> oh well, um, yeah. So we're just here to talk a little bit about um, about missions and culture. Really, um, we had two questions uh, that we're addressing this week. Uh, the first one is how does how does chronological biblical culture affect our understanding of the Bible? And I really think the sentiment behind that question is, man, the the things that happened in the Bible happened a long time ago in a very different culture. How how should that affect the way we think about the scriptures, right? And the second question is, how is modern culture relevant to outreach and growth, really? And so this is really a missions-minded podcast. And um, and that's why we brought Andrew on. Andrew is the BCM director here at USAO, has served as a missionary overseas and uh, is currently studying in, in seminary. Are you doing a, a missions-focused degree?
2: Yeah, it's Masters of Theological Studies with an emphasis in cross-cultural missions.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's uh, really cool. And you know, um, and Andrew really has a lot to say um, towards this. And honestly, um, bringing Andrew in, Corey and I both thought would add a lot to the discussion. Um, and so we're excited to have him here. We've, we've pulled up a third chair in the Blanket Fort sound booth just for him. So um, I'm really excited to get started. So let's get started with with the first question. How does chronological biblical culture affect our understanding of the Bible? And Corey, I know that you, uh, you and I were talking about some principles that would be helpful to remember kind of in this context. Uh, would you like to lay some of those
1: out for us? Sure, absolutely. And I'll try to do it quick because Andrew's the star of the show, so we want to get to his, his stories. Take your time. But <laughs> a lot of times when you hear people talk about biblical culture, sometimes that comes from a place of trying to make an excuse to excuse biblical principles. A lot of times people will say, Oh, well, Paul said that, and, and they were in a different time. And so, so that's not a sin anymore, even though the Bible says not to do it. And they, mm-hmm. there's, there's a whole lot of different issues that people attack scripture and they try to use culture. So when we look at whether scripture is relevant to our life, there's a few principles I want us to know. The first one is this we have enough information, you have enough information. To figure out God's message for you in his word. It tells us in 2 Peter 1.3, you have all that you need to live a godly life. We have all the resources that we need. And I truly believe, not just because I've read it in the Bible, but also because I've experienced it in between that front cover and the back cover is everything you need to take a message from the Bible that will change your life. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit is a part of that because we have the Holy Spirit. The the, God's Word is living and active. And when we read the Bible, we're reading Jesus. And so the Bible itself is enough. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need Wikipedia. You don't need a history channel. All those things may have some value. But the Bible is enough. And the next thing we need to know is the Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is the same gospel. In the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible says that Abraham, by faith, looked to Jesus who would come. And we look back at Jesus. Whether you're in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, we look to Jesus. It all goes to him. 100% of the time. It's the same God. Mm Mm-hmm. The next thing I want us to know is language does matter. And one thing that's really cool about the Bible is it tells us language matters. Uh, We were talking before we we had this podcast today about the book of Ruth and some of the weird cultural things in in the book of Ruth. One example of that is Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. She's really depressed and she says, Y'all call me Mara from now on. And then it says, Because Mara needs bitter. And so you have a contextual need to understand, oh my gosh, why don't you change her name? What's that mean? And the Bible just right there says, and here's what you need to know. Because, as Paul said, you have all you need to live a godly life. The Bible gives us enough. There's another story in Ruth that's kind of weird. When Boaz, Ruth's um, love interest man that, that she marries... He needs to get the rights to marry her from her closest kinsman, Redeemer. And he goes to the Redeemer, and the the guy takes his shoe off and gives it to him, which symbolizes, hey, you can marry her. Well, that's weird. If somebody took their shoe off and handed it to someone, that would be weird. But the context of the story makes you understand pretty quickly, oh, well, this is some type of a ritual to describe marriage. Yeah. And the Bible tells us to meditate on Scripture. And, and Jesus said, I tell you, not one iota, not one little dot on top of an eye will pass away from God's Word. God can preserve our Word and He can preserve the message. But there are some practical things that we can look at to understand when do we need to be thinking about what's the culture behind this and when do we not. So we have just a few things to remember. The first thing to ask yourself is Jesus giving a metaphor. Sometimes Jesus will do a parable, and it's the parable of the sower, and sometimes it's helpful to learn a little bit about farming for that. Or uh, whatever the subject is, the parable of the talents. We talked a few weeks ago about the talent is enough money to build a worship. It's a unit of money. A lot of people don't know that. Can you get a spiritual application out of that passage without knowing what a talent is? Of course. But does it help? So sometimes anytime there's a, there's a metaphor or a culture or something like that, that's helpful. If there's a footnote beside your Bible, it's often useful to look at that footnote and see what they're referencing. That footnote's not scripture, but it's worth it. I think, for me, I really learn a lot reading the little foreword in my Bible. Every Bible I've ever had where it says, okay, the book of Colossians was written to a culture that was dealing with Gnosticism. And you read that. Well, what's Gnosticism? Those things. Do you have to have any of that to get, to get the message from God? No. Is it helpful? Yeah. Is it worth investing in? Yeah. It's a whole lot like listening to a podcast. Yeah. And another time that we might want to try to figure out spiritual culture issues are... If we're confused, or if we feel a conviction in our spirit that we're just not getting it. Yeah. Sometimes you read something and you feel a conviction that says, there's more to this story. And if that's the case, we need to dig deeper in the word to get to the answer. Because if our stomach and the Bible conflicts, then the Bible's right. But sometimes the Holy Spirit is showing us we don't really understand what the Bible says.
0: Yeah, and and all of these all of these steps really um, are applications of things that we know how to do. Right? We're we're used to um, gleaning lessons from um, cultures that that we don't that. A culture that's different than ours. We're used to um, interacting with people who don't see the world exactly how we do. One thing we're going to talk about in a minute is like a generational divide. And really that's, that's a cultural, those are kind of subcultures within a greater culture, right? And sometimes um, we can say one thing and somebody might not understand it in the same way that we mean it. And people, and we understand that, that people do that, to us as well, right? And we're used to to trying to understand, like, is that a metaphor for something? Are they talking about something else? You know, there's also a principle of hermeneutics that that says, you know, let the clear and non-confusing passages in the scriptures um help you interpret the more confusing passages of scripture right which is just the same as if you have a friend say something that might offend you a little bit or might kind of get under your skin looking at other conversations that you've had that that reflect that friend's character and all that stuff right
1: absolutely and, and you know there's there's a principle a canon of construction that says that we call no sitter You'll know a thing about its associates. And so if you're reading a passage and you don't understand it, you read the passage in front of it, the passage after yeah, it. Get the context. The rest of the book, so that you understand those things and you know what the conversation is. Because if you don't do that, the book of Job is a great example. Job has three friends that come in and preach sermons to him, and they're pretty much Satan's representative. Yeah. They're preaching exactly the not-truth. And... If I have seen many, many times people quote those preachers, because they'll say Job seven three says this, and they are pretty much quoting the devil. Yeah, and it's because they're not reading the whole context. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things that we blame on culture, we really need to blame on context, because we've got to read the whole passage and get it.
0: Yeah, and and there there are a few kind of different angles to look look at this from, and 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 in kind of laying these things out, these are really simple principles. Um, but I also want to call to mind like there's sometimes that this is hard to do, right? Because really, when we when we rightly interpret the scriptures, right, it's it's hard in that it calls us out on some of the things that we hold dear that may not be scriptural, right? There are a lot of times that the cultural differences in, between us and those in scripture can bring to contrast traditions that we have or like like cultural norms that we have that may not really line up with the, the character and, and work of God. So while this is simple, it also can can hit us sometimes, and I think we need to
1: be humble in that. And that's why we can study one group for one book for our entire life. Yeah. Over and over again. You know, I love to water ski, and I think I've talked about water skiing every podcast this year. Slalom skiing is one of my favorite two or three things on earth. And what I love about it is all you're really doing is turning left and then turning right. Yet I've been doing it for twenty something years, and I still, every time I go to the lake, there's something I can get better at in at turning left and turning right. It's so simple. But the nuances are so complex and the discipline and the strengths that it takes. And that's scripture. Studying the Bible is is a lifetime of fulfillment. It's not like one of it's not a fluff book. It's not. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing.
0: It's the the well of scripture is infinitely deep, right? And it's and it's infinitely applicable. You know, we we talk about this, you know, you know, these kind of principles and things, uh, we've really been focusing on that first question on kind of that chronological gap between us and the writers of scripture but really i think that that first question pairs really well with that second question you know how is our our culture relevant to outreach and growth how is that culture relevant to evangelism you know and so um and i think it's helpful in the same way that some of the differences between us and those who were the audience in um the books of the bible that we read right um in the same way that that kind of can call us on some things that we just take for granted um that are cultural truths not necessarily biblical truths um i really think that there's probably a lot of insight to be gained um from living in and being a part of people who belong to a different culture than we live now. You know, not even a chronological culture difference, just a a location or just a cultural difference, right? Um, And Andrew, I feel like you've got really some firsthand wisdom to share with us uh, from that perspective.
2: Yeah, well, one thing I was thinking about as we were talking about studying the culture of the people within scripture is that, you know, before you go overseas or, or even if here in the States, if you're trying to reach out to someone of a different culture or uh, a group that is different than you, um, say that I'm trying to reach out to the basketball team at USAO, mm-hmm. I better know a little bit about the basc- about basketball, about the game of basketball yeah. um, or about the NBA or about collegiate sports because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to have a conversation with them, you know? And... I think the same for me as I went overseas was I, you know, I w- knew I was going to be working with Muslims. And so I studied Islam and I talked to people who follow that religion so that I could better understand what they believe and why they believe it. So therefore, I can better understand my faith and being able to better contextualize it to contextualize the gospel um to fit their culture basically mm-hmm. you know uh, i'm not trying to change the gospel by any means you know the gospel is what it is that's the same but how do we take that gospel and present it in a way that fits the culture that you're in
1: absolutely you got to know your audience and, right. and if you think about it that makes sense uh, guys if you're if you're about to graduate and you're looking for a job interview let me tell you a really important job interview strategy you figure out who's going to be interviewing you and you do the deepest, creepiest social media search you can do. <laughs> yeah. And you figure out, do they have a picture holding snow skis or do they have mm-hmm. a picture beside some line they shot or do they have a picture of them at the Thunder game yeah. or you, you figure out how you can relate to them and how you can have a segue. And that's not manipulating, at least not in a bad way. That's just investing and caring about people and making those connections. If you do that, if you can really connect on somebody with a hobby they have, you'll get that job.
2: Yeah. Well, that, it's funny that you said that when I was being interviewed for the BCM job, you know, I, I knew that Lisa, she's the one who's connected in Chickasha, you know, no one knew who I was. And so, um, but she said that she interned or was connected to two pastors uh, in Chickasha while she was here. And I walk into the interview and those two pastors were there. So I immediately, they said, Hey, I'm Andrew. And they introduced it. I'm like, Oh, I think you know my wife. And uh, they're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. We love her. And I'm like, all right, cool. I won their heart. You know, like yeah, that was it. And so,
1: so when I, when I was right told that it. you'd been hired, they said, hey, they hired a new BCM guy. And I said, well, tell me about him. Well, uh, he's married to Lisa Fruit. That's <laughs> all I needed to know. And the quote was, that's all I needed to know. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Oh, they told me that's the reason yeah. they hired me. Yeah, you <laughs> can, I mean, it helps, right? <laughs> yeah, Because it she's got skins on the wall. People know her character. Right. And wow. that was a connection. You've mm-hmm. got...
0: Uh, it was common ground. I had right. a
1: job interview one time that the guy said, tell you what, I'll meet you in Arlington. We'll go to a Texas Rangers game. I really, really don't like baseball. Really don't know much about baseball, but I figured this guy was a Rangers fan, so I went to the public library because I'm old and there weren't there wasn't really <laughs> internet back then. I went to the public library and I researched everything I could on like baseball and the Rangers and all this stuff. And I decided I can't really learn in five or six hours enough to really have a good conversation about baseball. So I picked an, a topic, and so what I did is I researched the salary cap and the contract that A Rod had just signed. Signed because I like math right. and I can talk about math, and I figured out how I could make math be baseball. Yeah, and so th- that's part of that cultural connection right. is you figure out some type of uh, where you are type of deal. Yeah, yeah,
2: and it translates well to studying scripture as well because mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible is written over a span of you know, however many years it was, you know, from Old Testament to the New, and so the culture is different even among the Israelites, you know, Mm -hmm. because I always went, in one of our seminary classes we were talking about, in our Old Testament class, where we talked about the Israelites being rescued out of Egypt, Yeah, and so that kind of made me think of, like, when God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, they, he, it was really pretty simple, honestly, like, don't kill, don't steal, worship only one God, like, those were pretty, we're like, well, duh, you know, and, but you got to think is, like, they had no culture. Their culture was Egyptian, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they're becoming now, they're now becoming a new society. Like you are now separated from the Egyptians. You are no longer quote unquote Egyptian, um, but you are your own nation. I'm forming you into your own nation, a chosen people. And uh, and so, but if we can understand, I think one, understand a little bit of the Egyptian culture. So we can kind of see maybe how the Israelites might've been a little bit or why they're, had so much trouble with only being away from Moses forty days before they start worshiping a cow, you know, like yeah. it can makes us understand it helps us yeah. to understand where they are coming from.
1: They've never had any autonomy in their life mm-hmm. and they've been slaves. Right. So people say when you get up, when you go to bed, what you eat, what mm-hmm. you drink, what you do, who you marry, all those things, how much straw you put in the bricks, all that stuff. And so then you take people who've lived that life and you say, here's your freedom, which is a great thing, but without any tools to get them. The Ten Commandments really, we think of them as a bunch of don'ts. Right. But really, for them, that's like the backbone for right. society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took some kids one time to a playground that had never been to that type of playground before. And uh, I just kind of opened the door and sat on a bench and they just stood there. It's like, what's going on? Play. Well, tell us what to do. And I was like, okay, you get on the swing, you get on the slide, you get on... They'd just never done it before. Mm. Yeah. And so they had to have someone tell them, here's how slide works. Right. But if if somebody came up and watched, they were like, oh my gosh, what kind of jerk tells his kid, you have to slide and you have to swing? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. really, it's, they were just blinking. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know... Um, I think it, I think it's important to remember too like the 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 Israelites the Hebrew people weren't the only people who dealt with stuff like this right. you know every generation of believer i think has had to ask this question i remember um i uh have a history degree from USAO i took a lot of history classes one one thing that stuck out to me in my history of the roman republic class we were talking about um the uh um, the persecution of, of Christians, like Nero, kind of that period of um, of of history of Roman history, kind of from that Roman perspective. And um, one of the things, if you would have asked just a random Roman that didn't really know a whole lot about about Christianity, um, what Christians were, they would say, "Well, they're 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 cannibal Jewish people, yeah, right? Because atheists, like <laughs> right, they're yeah, they're 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 atheists yeah. and and they they're." they're ethnically jewish and they're cannibals because they eat the body and blood of christ right and so they would hear people talking about communion and then without that translation into well no this is the the, it's the wine and the bread and all this stuff you know there there are cultural kind of jumps that's made and romans um uh, believe it or not more than almost any other culture in history were really freaked out by the idea of cannibalism because some of the, some of the conflicts and things that they had had in their history. Right. And so that was a huge, um, that was a huge thing. That was a huge barrier they had to cross in the same way that, um, you know, uh, a Jewish person would have to overcome a lot of cultural barriers to believe in Christ at the time. Right. Right. The Roman, they had, they had that coming from both directions. Right. And that's just something that's always moving. And I think that, uh it falls on us as believers to always be mindful of that right and when i was thinking about you um living overseas and and living in uh a in a culture that was um was very different in a whole lot of ways i'm sure that that kind of forces you to look at things and say okay what is the gospel right. everything else has to kind of go right, <laughs> right? right
2: yeah well one thing I- is that you kind of have to separate your? I think in America that we, you know, because yes, there's separation of church and state, but it's also so blended. At God the same and country. Time. Right. Yeah. God and country. It's so blended that when we look at the Ten Commandments, like we just talked about, it's not really that big of a deal because that is what basically our culture was <laughs> built yeah. on, the Ten Commandments, you know? And so we're like, well, duh, you don't kill or steal. Like, who would think that, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but there's some countries where that's okay to steal, at least, you know? And so, um, but I think when you go into a different culture, you take a lot of your own culture with you, obviously. You know, I'm still an American, you know, uh, and and it makes me realize kind of the American cultural stuff that I have going into a, a country where uh, they don't necessarily like Americans mm-hmm. or at least our government, you know, and. And so that when they would like kind of talk trash on America or on, you know, the president or anything like that, you know, um, that was a place where sometimes usually I didn't really care too much, but sometimes I had to kind of like step back and be like, you know what, I'm here for the gospel. I'm not here to proclaim America, you know? Um, and so I had to get out of that, you know, the patriotic type of mindset where we are Americans, you know, and be like, you know what, I'm in your country, you know, I'm going to do as you say, because I'm here to proclaim the gospel, um, and not proclaim democracy or, or anything like that, you know, um, or have an argument against why there should be democracy instead of law or whatever it might be, you know, and we can have those conversations, but, um, but there's some people who would really attack, you know, um, and really say offensive things towards America, you know, that it's just kind of like, you know what, We're not really, you know, I would talk to them obviously, but it's not really my fight yeah to go. And so I think that was that's one of the I don't know it, it, for some I think more than than me, I guess. It, it could be one of those uh roadblocks that they themselves have to get over, you know, because I know people who were extremely patriotic, you know, yeah. like country, you know, <laughs> deep Alabama or something, you know, yeah. that they're going into a different culture uh maybe in a culture that all the people around them are saying, "Oh, well, are you going to die if you go there? You know, well, be careful where you're, at. you know, you know, it's dangerous over there, you know. Um, but leaving their comfort and mm-hmm. going to a place that all their fa- family and friends are telling them don't go, you know, and being able to put aside their Americanness, I guess, and, and – See it for what it needs to be, which is the gospel.
0: Yeah what what are some some obstacles that that kind of out, grow out from that? Can you think of any like specific? Um, of course, you know, respecting any of the relationships you had and stuff like that. Are, are there any like specific things that you were kind of surprised by? Like, man, I did not expect for that to be an obstacle, but that that really hindered my ability to build a friendship or to have fellowship with 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 these with these people who grew up. In a way that was different than the way I grew up and all this stuff.
1: Like, tell yeah. us how you tick somebody off. Of <laughs> like, I wanna know. I'm a, I want. Andrew almost started a war. Let's hear that story.
2: Uh, well, uh, I, so I was really, really close to these guys. Uh, and I was there, man, for quite a while now. Uh, and, you know, the call of prayer would go off five times a day and I would hear it. And, um, but in Islam, dogs are unclean. You're not supposed to have a dog. Uh, you know, because it's unclean for whatever reason. And so, you know, as you would kind of, like, hear, I guess, if, you know, you know someone believes different, like, and you're really close, you can kind of poke fun of at people's mm-hmm. differences or whatever. So I decided to do that. And I said, you know what, I I said, I, I've been thinking, I, I wonder why... Like I kind of I think why you know in Islam that dogs are unclean is I think Muhammad was bit by a dog and so he's just scared so he's like no they're unclean and they're they kind of like scaredly laughed and they were like okay no that's you're too going too far yeah and to me I thought it was just like a, I didn't mean any offensiveness yeah. I wasn't trying to be offended offensive at all and I wasn't like being serious I was a hundred percent joking and we were laughing but they're like. Uh,
0: Okay. Yeah, like, yeah, no, you you stop. like instantly <laughs> right. realize like, man, that cut a lot deeper than I intended. Right, exactly. Right, that like was... we got a lot closer to home than I meant to exactly. get. Exactly, because you do
2: not make any jokes about the prophets to them. But in America, you hear people like you know, make fun of Christians all the time and make fun of Jesus and like, mm-hmm. and they, to me would be like, oh, well you're wrong. Cause you believe Jesus is God. He is not God. He's just a prophet or your Bible has been corrupt and it's been changed and all this stuff. And so, and I would never do that towards them, mm-hmm. you know, but then I make just a, a friendly joke and, but it was because it was about their prophet that they got really offended. By. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Okay, well, I found the line, and I just jumped right over <laughs> yeah. it. <you> know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I'm
0: going to tuck my tail and go back. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm really sorry. Uh, please
1: forgive me here. Yeah. Um, There's yeah. a pretty great story about that in the Bible, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when Paul goes to, I think it's Corinth, and so he goes and looks at their pantheon of the gods, and he, right. finds, you know, he finds an idol that's dedicated to the unknown God, and he said, hey, guys, I found this unknown God. And by the way, he's the only God mm-hmm. and it was not well received, right. but it's a pretty good model for both. Here's how you can study sculpture, culture mm-hmm. and invest and connect. And if people don't accept you, yeah. don't give up. Right. Because right. God's still God and he's still there. And missions is hard. Yeah. Whether you're doing missions on a college campus or across the world. Yeah.
2: One thing that I saw was different as well, um, compared to normally how we share the gospel here in America with Americans, compared to um, say within—I mean, really, any like in a lot of the countries that um, we like to—we don't—we're not supposed to offend anybody. You're not, you know, don't say anything that is different than what someone else believes, and don't like. Uh, That we need to kind of sugarcoat. If we want to say it, we got to kind of like, Mm -hmm. hey, like, I know you might be right, but let me tell you what (laughs) I believe. You know, like, because I would always hear people like, well, as Christians, we believe this. But when I would listen to Muslims talk and they're telling me what they believe, they're like, uh, you know, like, they speak as if this is the truth Mm -hmm. rather than like, well, I believe this. They would never say that. They would just like, you know, like, this as a matter of fact like this is what it is yeah. you know um and so that was kind of a, a different thing that I had to learn I guess is to be more and Lisa would get mad at me because when I would come back home I was a lot more blunt and just kind of like well, yeah th- you need to know it like this is just what it is and so it caused a lot of fights in our relationship because of that fact but um but that was one of the things of like because it especially I guess more in like uh the Arab world I guess when I would try to share with people from Saudi Arabia and stuff like that that they would be, uh, it's almost like the one who is the most passionate is the most right. Mm -hmm. And so, and we saw this in different, and this is goes in over area. We, we talked to a guy who was from Palestine and we were just talking about Israel and Palestine. And, and he was saying, well, look at the Israelis, they have the guns, but look at the Palestinians, they have rocks. Mm -hmm. Who's more passionate. So therefore it's their land, you know? And like, that is kind of the mindset that, that a lot of people that I met at least have. And so, like when I was, when I would talk to someone and we, we would be talking about the difference between Islam and Christianity, it would be like, we would kind of like, it would get pretty heated where we're not arguing, like we're arguing, but we weren't fighting, but we might like raise our voice and kind of get really passionate because it's like, well, I need to show them that I'm passionate. Because I am just sit here and I'm like, well, I believe that Jesus is God and that, you know, that, well, man. He's the only way? You know, if I'm, like, really questioning, then why would he ever believe me? Yeah. He would walk away thinking, like, well, he doesn't know the answers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how could I ever believe that? And so so they're they're thinking whoever has the most answers as well, <laughs> you know, yeah. obviously you know more. And so it made me have to actually study myself or study my stuff to make sure I could answer any question that came, that came up, you know. And if I didn't, be able to humbly be like, look, I don't know, but there is an answer. Let me go look it up.
1: And, and that's... So much of it, answering the questions. Mm -hmm. I've found, and I've never been on a foreign mission trip in my life, but I've spent a lot of time with with international students and and that type of thing. And i found that 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 seems to me the most significant time that I've spent with those guys and gals is when you're real Mm -hmm. about your faith, and then you answer their questions. Mm -hmm. Instead of, let me lecture you today, sit down here, you just... When they have a question, you be always ready to give an answer, like right. the Bible says. And sometimes it's really knowing your word and thinking in advance when they ask, how are you going to answer it? Right. And, um, you know, we've had some international students that have asked me questions that were, well, it's not the really deep, complicated theological things. Because those, like we've worried about and thought about, it's the really, really, really simple stuff. Mm-hmm. Um that is really, really hard to answer because you've never given any time at all to it. Right? And it's yeah. so hard to start with the basics, and and uh, you know people say that a dictionary is a whole bunch of letters put together to tell you how to understand other letters put together. So you have to understand the letters that are put together to understand the letters that are put together. Mm. And sometimes that's kind of how the gospel right. is, too. And yeah. You've got to have all these little pieces, and it's hard. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I had a I had a friend who uh, was in India, and um, there was a, a guy who was a Muslim who came to faith. He started following Jesus. and um, But when he was a Muslim, he—you know, because they can have four wives. And so he had two wives. Mm-hmm. And so he came to one—and this guy was, like, discipling him and stuff like that. And he came to one day, just like, hey, you know— I'm a follower of Jesus now obviously and um but the thing is is I have two wives what do I do? Yeah. Do I divorce one or do I stay with both of them? And he was just like I have no idea. Like <laughs> I've yeah. never even thought about even dreaming of what that of that question, you know. So he wrote John Piper like the ask John Piper and mm-hmm. he uh, asked some other missionaries and 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 stuff like that and uh and he got his Answer and he gave him the answer and um
1: that would be another great podcast that would be another that would that's be. another story for another I time I want to jump all over uh, that yeah. no but it was really hard
2: yeah. because that that's the type of question that you would never think about yes exactly yeah. it would kind of blow me away of like, yeah
0: what? that's like that's like a master's level class ethics yes. final right? right like like I mean it, that's like a hard Dude, that's a yeah. hard question in every way it's like a real person yeah. Connected to a real mm-hmm. hard question, and there's a lot of research, and there's a lot of like, do so you get someone to sin? Uh, so believe get it out or not, sin, right? yeah, you know, like-
1: believe it or not, that that question comes up here. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, I, there's a guy in town that's a retired pastor mm-hmm. who's in Arizona in uh, some predominantly Muslim communities, mm-hmm. and it was not an uncommon thing for people in polygamous, right. in, in bigamous or polygamous relationships. To accept Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you figure out, okay, what's the next step? Yeah. And um, those are hard ethical issues, and that would be a fun podcast. I think mm-hmm. that's
2: when you go back to, like, what we're talking about from the very beginning of understanding the culture. Because this is uh, totally a different cultural perspective that we would ever dream of, you know? Uh, and I think there's things in Scripture that are the same way of, like, okay, mm-hmm. well, why did— you know, all these other prophets have all these, you know, multiple wives, whatever. Yeah. Um, and we can understand that by understanding the culture a little bit.
1: And, and that's one of those that, like, if someone says, I've got this problem, what do I do? You don't want to be like, oh, here's your seven step, seven right. steps to a non-polygamous life. Yeah. <laughs> you, you want to say, let's think and pray about this. Right. And... Not only do you want to take it seriously, but you want them to know that you realize this is their entire life yeah. that's in the balance. And how do you handle that? And, yeah. and I mean, ethical things on both sides. You made a vow before God mm-hmm. and to these two people or six people or whatever. Yeah. And, and there's so many things that go into that. And that's a great example of we got to really see people as people, right. not just as a yes. number. Yes. Not, oh, you're baptized. Let's move on
2: and i think okay going to the cultural thing as well for being overseas that that's a big one too is because um, I mean, growing up in Oklahoma, we go to Falls Creek and and stuff like that. And So we're kind of used to seeing all these people come to faith, and um, and it's easy if you start looking at that to think, oh, well, they only care about the number, which is not true. But you know, when they're always announcing the numbers, you kind of like, well, you expect to see fruit when mm-hmm. you share the gospel. Yeah, you know, and then you read scripture that's saying, you know, oh, your word will not go back void, and that you're the power of salvation. You know, if you share the gospel, people will come to faith, and then you are sharing the gospel and you're not really seeing people come to faith. And, um, it just kind of, I don't know. It, it, it's difficult because you you want to believe, I mean, you do believe what God has said, but yet you're not seeing this, this fruit come from it, you know, but, um, but going overseas into a culture where the gospel has not been proclaimed yet and realizing like, it's really easy to go in there and thinking like, Okay, well, if you want to be a Christian, then you need to start living like a Christian, you know. But why would I ever expect someone to live like a Christian if they're not a Christian? You know, like the only way I can live as a Christian is because of Christ. And so, like, how can I go into their culture and say, "Hey, I know that you believe this, but let me tell you that it's wrong," and everyone in your family from all your generations are wrong and in hell? Like, how do you go and tell someone that? Yeah. Like, that's what you were telling people. Like, that's.
1: Pretty messed it's got to be a slow burn. About, yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's kind of a. If we really, as humans, I guess if we, if we think about it, it's kind of like yeah, on a up, human scale. Like, that it's that everyone is wrong, and so then they come to faith and like, well, okay, what about my family? Where are they? Yeah, you know, like yeah. then you have to have that conversation, and so seeing people as humans and not just saying like, you need to follow Jesus because it'll be the best thing in your life, which is true, but taking the time to really understand, man, if they accept Jesus, first of all, they might be. Their family might reject them. They could be killed, or they could be arrested. Um, but also, you're telling them they're realizing that everyone around them is wrong. Like I had a girl where I was, uh, she came to faith, and 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 she struggled because there's no community, you know. But one thing she told me uh, a couple years after, because I would talk with her, she said, um, "I tried to walk away from the faith. I did everything." I started partying again. I started doing all these things. And I tried to walk away, but there's something in me that won't let me walk away. Yeah. And she said that it messes me up because I look around and she's like, How can, how, how is it that I found something so beautiful, so good, but everyone else around here thinks it's like the most evil thing? Yeah. You know, and, and that is kind of the view of what people are taught about Christians or about, or something like that.
1: You know, that's, there's a lot of apologetic power in what you just said because you know, there are – well, there's a predominant theory, a psychological theory called called delusion theory that says that humans have invented religion because it gives them comfort. Right. Mm-hmm. Is, and I would say the average atheist probably subscribes to delusion theory. They say, well, you made that up to feel good. Yeah. Was it the mass. Was that if Dawkins? You've ever that's, read that's the, the exact Bible, quote yeah. that I was thinking. Yeah. If you've ever read the Bible – You've got to really be sold on the uncomfortable stuff before you see anything comfortable. Yeah. Noah's Ark happens way before Jesus. Right. And there's a lot of pain and negativity and hard things. And it's all worth it because we have Jesus. But if those negative things aren't true, there's no need for a savior. right? And so Christianity is a religion that, according to psychology, defies all logic. Which gives it a great deal of credibility, um, as opposed to some other faiths that you can baptize yourself for a dead person, then they go to heaven too, so you can all be comforted. Yeah. And so it's hard and it's painful, but that's also a little bit of a commendation to our faith.
2: Yeah. And I think that's one of the aspects that as west that, as westerners that we have to get over as well because I think it seems like at least that thought process mainly comes from the western world, you know, America or Europe or something like that We're Christian we're pretty post-Christian now, you know, um that that it's just the opium of the masses that religion is here. Um, but if you look at Christians from all over the all over the world like that they're they're being persecuted. They're not being blessed. We're in America. We come to faith and it's like, okay, awesome. Good job. Yeah. You know? Um, but say in Iran, you know, I met Iranian refugees who are being, who they came to faith and they were arrested and were in jail for nine months to a year. And they were tortured. The women were raped. Like all of this happened and, and they're over there and they have some form of joy that, you know, I've never really seen before. Cause I'm like, you should not be this happy. You know, I told one of them, I said like, Like, man, like to us, to Americans, when we look at you and hear your story and how you were arrested and how like Jesus came to you in a dream and like all this stuff, like you're like super Christians. Like we really look up because it encourages. He's like, no, like what? He's like, no, my friend. Like we look at the American Christians and think you guys are the super Christians because you have everything in front of you and it's all okay to do. Yeah, Like the sin we're, we're told in our culture that, you know, all these different sins are okay, Right. We we. Can do it and we could justify it, right? Um, so how do we stay away from that sin, you know? And but like all these people are still being persecuted for their faith. And while we, you know, we say, Oh, you know, they're making me wear a mask, so therefore I'm being persecuted, you know, like, well, no, like that's not persecution, (laughs) you know. And but this really is, and so like having that opium, the mask, I'm like, I don't think someone would choose to convert to a different religion to be tortured. When it's promised, they see in Scripture that they will be persecuted.
1: As you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that we stand on the shoulders of missionaries right here. America, we have it easy because of the fact that generations before us, the church laid ground and established social capital that we're still spending. And the church still Sometimes I I talk a lot about how the church has spent a lot of its social capital. And I'm from First Baptist Church. does not open the doors that it did when I was getting into ministry 20 years ago. It just doesn't. Any First Baptist Church. But it sure does open a lot more doors here than it does in a place that's not a Christian nation. And we talk about these cultural steps. but It's kind of cool because... All those things you were talking about, like, it's so easy in America. Why don't we have that? We do have that because people like you went. And that's pretty awesome. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I think that that gives us a good segue. You know, you talk about, you know, a little bit about – uh the way that that we're viewed as americans and the way that we you know you kind of mentioned the masks right that's kind of with with covid-19 going on right now and all that stuff you know that that's actually a really a really good segue you know um what in your opinion what what do you think are some mistakes that americans make when when they think about the gospel um that maybe wouldn't survive um an occasion of being taken out of your culture and implanted into another one. Cause I think a lot of times we add some of our Americanness right. to the gospel and, and take it in with the gospel. I think, you know, I think of, uh, the concept of of Sunday of of church clothes, right? You know, like I'm going to put my church clothes on and go to church, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's a cultural construct. Right. right? Um, And, and there, I mean, I've had ties, there's a
1: lot wrong with it. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: But, but yeah, but I mean there, that, that's a big obstacle for some to get through. Right. Um, and, And I imagine that there might be some things like that, that, I mean, I haven't thought about that, that, you know, um, what are, what are some of our American kind of preconceptions that.
2: Right. Um, I think you you said the church, call, it made me think of even church on Sunday, yeah. you know, I mean, because like that wasn't the original way, you know, it was yeah. uh, on the Sabbath and, uh, on Saturday. And so, but now it is Sunday. Uh-huh. So how, but I think there's times where we can it, I've seen missionaries go overseas and they do church on Sundays but they find if they're in a Muslim country or or, or a, a country that their holy day is on Friday or something else like that like everyone is working on Sundays it's just mm-hmm. it's a Monday you know and so so they had to readjust and start doing church on Friday yeah. and you treat Sunday just as a normal day
1: it's so funny that you tell a story about like going to another continent and have mm-hmm. that issue I have a friend that's an NFL chaplain, and tell, I've had the same conversation mm-hmm. with. Yeah, that that well, these guys work on Sunday, right? And pick a different. Oh, Got to do something different. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's so funny. You think of right. these millionaires in the middle of America, yeah. and these people, yeah. in a mm-hmm. not first world country, right? And the issues come yeah. around because people are people. Yeah. yeah,
0: and I see your story and jump off on that. I remember when I was in high school at a fifth quarter after a football game, um, and they told a story about a guy um you know who uh was a christian and played all the way through college and was drafted and turned down a draft and they and uh and turned down his spot in the NFL because they play on sundays and and the kind of the point of this fourth quarter was like you know you need to be willing to give up things that you care about in order to advance the gospel and i remember as a as an 18 year old kid thinking Man, if every Christian did that, then no NFL guy would work with another Christian, right? Like, right. like, right. how in the world are they going to know about the yeah. gospel, right? right? You know, and 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 I think that that kind of that that's almost like the cultural extreme on that other right. end, right? Like, I do not agree with that in the slightest, and right. and like Corey's eyes rolled so far in the back of his head, I thought he was going to pass out, right? <laughs> but 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 really, that's kind of the the because cultural.
1: I- I'm not arguing with you. No, but, no, no,
0: no, no. Right? Yes. right? Like, like it was just that reaction is like, oh, of course, somebody said that, yeah, right? right? You know, and and really, that's kind of the cultural extreme to the mm-hmm. example you brought up in the first place, right? And yeah. and you know, and that that's cultural, right? Like, yeah. there, there's nothing biblical about that, right? Right.
2: Yeah. If we separate, we're supposed to be separated from the world, you know, but we also we can't pull ourselves so far away from the world where we live on a commune and, like, we aren't around people at all. Like, because it's exactly what you said. If if every Christian decided not to play in the NFL because they have to go to church on Sunday rather than going on Saturday night at Life Church or, you know, like, yeah. whatever it is, that have churches, not promoting any church, but, uh, you know, just for example of yeah. church on Saturday. But, like, um, then there literally would be no Christians yeah. there, you know. And so, like— if I go to a country and I don't meet on Fridays, but we I make them meet on Sundays, then that's going to draw so much attention because like, "Why? Why are you taking off work? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that?" You know. And so, um, so that was one that you know that I saw is like treat Sundays a normal day, Friday is the holy day, and that's yeah. kind of what it is. And yeah. adapting you have to adapt to the culture you're around. And um, and I think Americans, I think one okay, kind of a funnier one, I guess, is I think Americans are pretty good at when they travel to different countries to adapt to the culture they're in for the most part you know they're still American um and they're gonna make sure everyone knows they're American <laughs> unless you're from Texas and you can tell everybody I'm from Texas you know like so but I think Amer- I've seen Westerners I guess take it to the extreme like when they go to India or something like that where everybody wants to be a yogi and like they, they dress in like the traditional Indian dress which is not traditional indian dress at all but it's they look they look like a yoga master or something yeah. you know um and they or they'll get the actual traditional dress and they they try to do that but just like why are you doing this like you don't you, you, no one wears that like yeah. if i where i was if i wore the traditional dress that the men were wearing like people would be like dude what are you doing because yeah. the guys i was working with we went scuba diving you know like that would be so weird
1: we have people from other countries here come Buy a ten gallon hat, and dress right. up in big old cowboy boots, exactly. and laugh at them. Yeah, or not even other countries. Exactly, people from just like up north. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or back east. Yeah, but- and
0: really at that point you aren't you aren't being culturally sensitive. You're just playing dress up, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know.
2: Well, I, I went to Indonesia and and like we got some of the traditional like the the I don't know the sarongs, the skirt type thing they wore, and then the, one of the guys I was with he bought one of the shirts, and a lady walked up to him like, "Oh, are you a Muslim?" And he said, "No, I'm a Christian." She's like, "No, you're a Muslim." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "No, I promise I'm not. I'm a Christian." She's like, "No, look at your shirt. You're a Muslim." Mm-hmm. And she would not believe him. It was be only because of how he dressed. Yeah, he was dressing like an imam, like the preacher of Islam. So therefore, she was convinced he was a Muslim. Yeah. So well, therefore, it, she would not listen to anything he had to say because of how he if was dressed. If we saw
1: somebody that had one of those Catholic clerical collars, right. I mean you're Catholic. it would be pretty hard for them to convince me they were not some type of a ecumenical Christian church leader. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you might not be a priest, you might call yourself something else, but you're a priest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just one one silly little story, because I we need to get to the generational stuff because mm-hmm. we're running out of time. But yesterday at lunch, I was having lunch with another judge and a guy came up and said, uh, are you all lawyers? And it was kind of awkward. Well, sort of. You have to be lawyers. You're wearing suits. No one wears suits anymore. (laughs) Well, we're we're judges, so I guess we are lawyers. But, I mean, he's kind of right. Like They are kind of the last people that still wear suits. But people do make. And so you got, there's a fine line with, I want to fit in, but I don't want to be just like them. Exactly. Yeah, and That takes a lot of guidance from the Holy Spirit Yeah, and probably a lot of trial and error. Right.
2: Yeah. And it goes back to the, you need to be able to adapt to the culture you're in. Uh, and, and you can still be an American, you know. There's cer- certain cultures that they will go into other cultures and they will not change who they are at all. They are from this country no matter where they are and yeah. people don't like them for that, you know. Yeah. And so, like... And I know people here who they're like, no, I'm not going to change. I don't change for people. Well, if you want to reach people with the gospel, you're going to have to change. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to give up who you think you truly are, but you need to give up something so that you can better contextualize and adapt the gospel to reach this culture. If you don't, man, you're just going to step on toes and you're getting in fights that you don't need to be in. And
1: you don't have to abandon your likes and beliefs and patriotism. Right, You don't have to not love America right. because you also love Italy. Right, right. And, and, you know, one thing, like, I grew up in Warwick, Oklahoma, Warwick Eagle. My dad was a Warwick Eagle. All my uncles were War Eagles. All my brothers, all my sisters. It's a big deal to me. I will always be a Warwick Eagle, but I'm also a Chickasha Chick. Right. This mm-hmm. is where we live, and we are 100% invested yeah. in this community, and this is my town. That's my town, but this is my town. They're both. Right. There's enough love for both. And we have to have that same concept when we deal with people that are from other countries, that don't love America any less. Mm-hmm. I'm still just as thankful for right. the soldiers that have died for us and the freedom we have and the culture we grew up in yeah. that can put us in a position that we can send missionaries out. Mm-hmm. But I also love this place where all these souls are just as much. Yeah,
2: Yeah. they would always ask me my opinion on the president. Obama or Trump or whatever, like, and they would just talk so much trash, especially, you know, uh, like, they would just talk a lot of trash on the president, whatever. And so, like, I mean, as an American, I could defend the president a little bit, you know, but, and, like, and we would have a conversation about it, but I'm also, like, I'm not here as an ambassador for President Trump, you know. I'm here as an ambassador for Christ, and so... Because I know if I'm like, oh, well, I support this person or I support that person, then I'm going to lose it some respect, yeah. <laughs> you know, just because they think that's they believe this about them because of some policies they've, they've passed and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's kind of like you got to step back and kind of put yourself aside and let Christ yeah. be the one who shines. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just put yourself in their shoes and kind of understand, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, Corey mentioned earlier the the generational thing and I think I think that might be a a fun way to kind of finish up because really I think that um kind of the generational divides that we um talk about in America, I think anyone listening to this who lives in America um probably knows exactly, you know, the three words I'm about to say, right? Boomers, millennials and Gen Zers, right? And and that is something that um yeah, really, that is in some ways a cultural divide. Uh, right? What about
1: Gen-, Gen X? I know, I for- huh? feel bad for Why Gen X. Why would you X leave X out thing? my generation? Because
0: y'all don't make any memes. Yeah. And so, you know. Um, yeah, because
1: we have. 'm not even
0: <laughs> well okay and Gen X
1: right boomers don't make memes by the way huh
0: yeah, yeah they but do, they're, they're in tired. they're they in them time. yeah they're, they're in the memes right mm-hmm. but but you know like that is a cultural divide right, right. and and um, those who belong to those generations just kind of naturally tend to think in different ways right like uh, Corey uh, jokes all the time that he's like you know because Corey you're right on the precipice between Gen X and millennial right yeah depends on who makes the list which one mm-hmm. you fall into to. Right. But you're really kind of like a boomer in some ways. Right. You're kind of you're I mean, you, you've you kind of, you know, you mentioned growing up in Warica, you grew up in a little bit smaller town. You had a little bit older parents. And so a lot of your and my siblings are
1: 16 years old. Though.
0: Yes. Right. And so a lot of your defaults, you know, I I joke when I say you're kind of like a boomer, but a lot of your defaults are don't really match like your age as it were. And so you say a lot like, I may te- technically be a millennial, but I feel older than that. And really that's because that's a cultural that's a cultural distinction we make, not really an age distinction, you know? I'm not a millennial. Huh? I'm six months away
1: from being a millennial. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean <laughs> Well and and I think we see that, right? Like we talk about memes and we talk about, you know, uh, there, there's always been not always, but the last few years, there's been kind of this this trend of, uh, you know, um, those who we would call, you know, boomers, those who those who belong in in the baby boomer boomer generation will would you know be like, oh, millennials, you know, that yeah. they don't they don't want to go to work and they want to get paid, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year to. To sweep the floor and all this stuff, right? And, and, uh, like, uh, and the one that always bothers me the most is, you know, all those millennials eating Tide Pods, right? And all this stuff, yeah. right? And, um, it's, while there's probably, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, there's some truth there, right? Like, you know, there, there, there's some of the critiques may be true but there's also kind of this general divide, right? And there's this there's this slight language difference that makes it harder for us to be on the same wavelength when we talk in generalities right like that like that, right? And I just want to take this opportunity to say, you know what? I I don't think a millennial has ever eaten a Tide Pod. Like by the time p- kids were eating Tide Pods, like we were a grown up and had like jobs and kids and stuff. Those were Gen right. Zs. It was like we ate cinnamon and drank gallons of milk when we were being stupid, right? Spoonfuls <laughs> of cinnamon Gallons of milk. It was There's horrible. Gen X people did that too. <laughs> right? But like, you know, we're I think it's the good soap by then. <laughs> right? Like we weren't using Tide Pods, no. man. We were shopping at Whole Foods. Right. <laughs> but but you know, I think it's a I think it's an interesting generational divide that has a, some of the same categories as this big chronological gap we were talking about early in our conversation, Um, the distance gap that that we're talking about in our conversation with you, I just think it's interesting. Corey, you were about to say something. I cut you off. I was
1: going to say, so, like, it is fun to kind of talk about the different generation things, but that doesn't change the gospel, but it changes the way we present the gospel. Yes. And so— so, like, what are a few things, if we could just kind of go around the table, because yeah. I know we're running out of time, but mm-hmm. what are a few things that you think are different in the way you would present a spiritual truth to a boomer, a a Gen Xer, a millennial, or a Gen Y? Uh,
0: this is kind of adjacent Um, to the question you answered, because I don't really have like a specific way I would present a specific truth or something like that. But the first thing I thought of when you were asking that question was, um, my tattoo, I have, I have a tattoo across my back. It's Mm -hmm. pretty big. It's, uh, it's on the part of my back where my last name would be. Mm -hmm. Like if I was wearing a Jersey, like a football player or something, and it says Dulos which means servant or slave, right? And I specifically got that on my back and not on my arm or anywhere that was visible, mm-hmm. specifically for a, quote, you know, somebody who is a, quote, unquote, boomer or like right. an elder Gen Xer, right? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't want to take away from my own credibility because that's kind of a cultural expectation of, This is either sinful or it's just something that only people who are irresponsible do or whatever, right? And so I purposefully made that to where it was out of sight so that I wouldn't be working from negative right when I got into the door. If I wanted to have an important conversation about eternal matters with someone, I decided to restrict my freedom, the freedom as I see it from the scriptures in that way
1: for that purpose. It's interesting you say that because I was thinking that like, I go around and preach a lot. And so one of the things that I do is whenever I'm asked to come preach somewhere, I will talk to the pastor or or the deacon, whoever's getting me. I'll say, tell me about your church. Are you a tie wearing church? Are you a shirt? Because one thing I've learned about different generations and I hate generalizations, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're doing here. Right. Boomers, and above generally place a lot of value on appearance at mm-hmm. church, particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Millennials also, in a lot of ways, place value on appearance. It's a totally different look, right? It's a different appearance, but there's a lot of like these jeans are cool kind yeah. of stuff. It's and like high stuff. generally, Gen Xers like me don't give a flying flip what somebody's wearing, yeah. Like, and, yeah, and we're kind of the we're the transition kind of between the you. Two. You joked we don't make memes or whatever because we're as a culture more like just production oriented, yeah. Than than the other generations, yeah. And I am the biggest example of that. I, one thing I struggle with as a judge is I'm supposed to maintain decor. I don't notice if someone's not dressed up. Yeah. You can come talk to me and walk away and say, "Was he wearing a shirt or a t-shirt?" And I honestly can't tell you because I don't even think about it yeah. because I'm not. It's not even relevant to me. Mm-hmm. And so I try to always, when I'm going to speak somewhere, I find out what's my audience. Mm-hmm. And that's how I dress.
0: So that you can match those cultural expectations, yeah, exactly. right? And there's nothing wrong There's nothing wrong with that or dishonest with that. It's just being loving, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking along the same lines as you, Corey, is that um, if I'm going to talk to someone who is older than me, maybe Boomer, or uh, I really, de- yeah, I guess Boomer, is that usually I will talk about it's about appearance kind of try to make that first impression and kind of talk about, uh, maybe what I've done, I guess. And, and just show them like, I'm not just a minister that's not doing anything, you know, sitting back and playing golf or whatever, you know, but like, I'm actually doing something, you know, and I've done all of these things to make me credible, uh, before you basically. And so, and to show, I don't know when, with that, I can use that to go into the gospel of like, well, now let me tell you why I'm working so hard and, and doing this and learning about this culture is because of, because of Jesus, you know, but someone who's Jim Y or something like that, you know, it's more, it seems like people, they want more uh, organic stuff or like just real life. They don't really care about, yeah. just, be, like, real just me, me, be real with me or whatever and hang out. Like, yeah. like, cool. I can yeah. do that. You know? And so, so that's how I would go with the gospel is more, um, like really poor, pour in all this time to really build a legit relationship with them so that they will actually listen and understand the gospel or respect yeah. me to give me basically the trust and the permission to even share the gospel with them, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how I would do it is one more show, kind of earn my credibility, earn my trust by earning my credibility to someone who's older versus – earn the credibility by just actually spending the time with them to do it, I guess.
0: Um, You know, one thing that I see, Andrew, is in these examples, right? Um, Every single one of these examples that we've used, whether it's talking about generational differences, um, cultural differences, ethnic differences, there's this common thread that goes through that I'm seeing that is the earning of credibility, Mm -hmm. right? And And that's not a a point of dishonesty or of manipulation. Really, what it is is it's the use of the employment of empathy, right? Mm -hmm. To understand where someone's at and say, listen, I care enough about you. Right to make myself credible in your eyes mm-hmm. so that you will hear what I have to say because I think it's that important. Right. 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 And, and whether that means being in, um, a, a majority, uh, Muslim environment, mm-hmm. um, uh, whether that means arguing a little bit differently, mm-hmm. right. And showing a little bit more passion right. and, and things like that, or whether that means, you know, uh, uh wearing um uh, the the types of clothing that that makes right. someone uh, that helps someone see you as credible mm-hmm. so that you can you can share that credibility with them and then there's a whole spectrum of things in between right and i think that really um as far as what i'm pulling from this conversation is that right like care enough about people to earn their credibility right be present enough in mind to see the credibility in the scriptures, because if you look, you will find it.
1: Andrew, how about yeah. you're our guest? Would you close us in prayer? Yeah. Yes, yeah, of that. course.
2: Father, I just come before you uh, in the name of Jesus, and I thank you so much for this time to gather lo- around this table and um, just discuss these different questions. And God, I pray that you will use this podcast and use this topic to reach um, the masses and that uh, that someone will come to know you because of this, God, and that, um, that this question will be perfect for, for someone and that you will lead them to you um, into either salvation or into a greater understanding of who you are. So, Lord, I pray that as this podcast does go out, that it'll spur on different conversation and that um, that you'll just bless it and that you'll be a part of it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, man.
2: Thank you.